welcome back to another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot. As she called us to live to a higher standard each day, not satisfied with a little religion when we can have a relationship with God. Our thoughts today focus on purpose and recklessness. As the podcast series continues in the coming weeks, we'll hear from family, friends, and others who were influenced by Elizabeth's life and message. Today, we continue our extended series on Operation Alca and other events during Elizabeth's time in Ecuador. As we normally do, we have two Gateway to Joy broadcasts to include in this podcast, and we'll also hear the actual voice of Jim Elliott as he has a a brief prayer from a message on the resurrection. Also, Bob Schuster, archivist at Wheaton College, will join us. First, though, it's Gateway to Joy 97, The Purpose of God. What did Nate and Pete write about the possibility of dying in their efforts to reach the Alcas? Time to hear about that. This is your friend Elizabeth Elliot talking with you this time about the purpose of God. We've been talking about five 20th century disciples in whose lives, more readily perhaps than in our own, we've been able to trace a certain destiny, a certain divine pattern. In Romans 8:28, it says, everything that happens fits into a pattern for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And his purpose is that we should be conformed to the image of of his son. I'd like us to review some of the clues to these men of destiny, which appeared in their earlier writings when they could have had no idea how their lives were going to end on the strip of sand on the Curarai River in the eastern jungle of Ecuador. One summer, Jim wrote in his diary, he makes his ministers a flame of fire. Am I ignitable? God deliver me from the dread asbestos of, quote, other things, unquote. Saturate me with the oil of the Spirit that I may be aflame. But flame is transient, often short-lived. Canst thou bear this, my soul, short life? In me there dwells the Spirit of the great short-lived, whose zeal for God's house consumed him. And then he ends this diary entry with the quotation from a poem by Amy Carmichael, Make me thy fuel, flame of God. Such were Jim's desires before God. After 18 days at sea, you may remember that Jim Elliott and Pete Fleming had sailed from Southern California for Guayaquil, Ecuador, in February of 1952, and about halfway up the Guayas River, Pete Fleming wrote, I finally comprehended that this, this was Ecuador. I felt a tingling sensation for the first time. Jim and I sang quietly, Faith of Our Fathers, as the boat pulled into the harbor. Faith of Our Fathers, holy faith, we will be true to thee till death. Pete could not have imagined how quickly that death was going to come. Less than four years later, he lay speared to death on the sands of the Curarai River. 
And then Pete wrote this, language is a tyranny of frustration. During the months of study, in his diary, he said, I am longing now to reach the Alcas, if God gives me the honor of proclaiming the name among them. I would gladly give my life for that tribe, if only to see an assembly of those proud, clever, smart people gathering around a table to honor the sun. Gladly, gladly, gladly. What more could be given to a life? I think of those words of Pete's and of the horror with which the world received the news of the death of these men. Even we missionaries who knew very well that the blood of the martyrs is very often the seed of the new church, even we were perplexed and confused about what God's purpose could possibly be in view of the fact that that these men were, in a sense, the cream. I remember an older missionary who had spent many years in Ecuador coming to me and saying, why didn't God take me? Those were the best that we had. I couldn't begin to do the things that any of those five men could do. And I would have been glad to give my life for the Alcas. I don't understand why God took the young men. And if people felt sorry for those men having been speared to death, I would like to remind them of those words, gladly, 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 what more could be given to a life? And then Pete wrote, the thought of going to the Alcas scares me at times, but I am ready. We have believed God for miracles, and this may include the Alcas. It has got to be by miracles in response to faith. And then in Nate's diary, he wrote this just less than a month before he died. As we have a high old time this Christmas, may we who know Christ hear the cry of the damned as they hurtle headlong into the Christless night without ever a chance. May we be moved with compassion as our Lord was. May we shed tears of repentance for these we have failed to bring out of darkness. Beyond the smiling scenes of Bethlehem, may we see the crushing agony of Golgotha. May God give us a new vision of his will concerning the lost and our responsibility. Would that we could comprehend the lot of these Stone Age people who live in mortal fear of ambush on the jungle trail, those to whom the bark of a gun means sudden, mysterious death, those who think all men in the world are killers like themselves. If God would grant us the vision, the word sacrifice would disappear from our lips and thoughts. We would hate the things that seem now so dear to us. Our lives would suddenly be too short. We would despise time-robbing distractions and charge the enemy with all our energies in the name of Christ. May God help us to judge ourselves by the eternities that separate the Alcas from a comprehension of Christmas and of him who, though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, so that we might, through his poverty, be made rich. Lord God, speak to my own heart and give me to know thy holy will and the joy of walking in it. Amen. That's an excerpt from the diary of Nate Saint just shortly before his death. And then remember that on the eve of their going forth, the men sang together, We rest on thee, 
our shield, and our defender. We go not forth alone against the foe, strong in thy strength, safe in thy keeping tender. We rest on thee, and in thy name we go. Can you imagine how we widows pondered those words, shield and defender, in light of the fact that the God who had taught those men to trust him and the God in whose name they went had actually allowed them to be speared to death, although he promises to be shield and defender. Well, if we had been baby Christians, just newly come to Christian faith, I imagine that that faith would have been shaken. It might even have disintegrated. But a faith which rests in the character of God knows that there are mysteries connected with his promises that there are some things which seem very simple on face value, and yet we realize that Scripture has to interpret Scripture. And that same God who promised in the Psalms to be our shield and defender, the stronghold of our lives, our refuge, our helper, is the God who also allowed many of his children to be killed at the hands of wicked men. One, for example, was John the Baptist, who, because of the whim of a dancing girl and her evil, adulterous mother, had his head chopped off. Another was Stephen, who was stoned to death because of his faithful preaching. The purpose of God, it's always bigger than we imagine. It's always deeper than we imagine. But he's given us a good many clues. His purpose for others, I think we can note in the results that came to us via the mail because of the death of these men, the people whose attention God got a hold of, those who volunteered for the mission field, the officer who was lost at sea and thought about the words of Jim Elliot, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. God had an infinitely greater purpose for the world and for many individuals' spiritual lives than those men could ever have imagined or could ever have touched by their lives. It was their death that touched them. I think of his purpose for me, one individual, the widow of one of those men. We do ask God why, don't we? And very often his answer is, trust me. Or, in the words of Scripture, God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. That's a strong clue to the explanation we are always seeking. God's purpose for us is holiness, his own holiness which we are to share. And the sole route to that end is discipline. Discipline very often involves loss, diminishment, fallings from us, vanishings. Why? because God wills our perfection and holiness, that is, our joy. But we argue, why should diminishments be the prerequisite for joy? The answer to that lies within the great mystery that underlies creation, the principle of life out of death. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. 
those men were like five corns of wheat, and out of their burial came a great harvest. Gateway to Joy 97, it's called The Purpose of God. Well, as I mentioned, we're going to hear the voice of Jim Elliott from a message on the resurrection. It's actually a prayer. Let's hear from Jim. So we pray. Again, Father, we feel like we cannot speak as we should like to speak concerning thy Son. We only pray that thy word might have its effect, thine intended effect upon our hearts, and that we shall see in the truth of the Old Testament scripture that we have our roots in fact and in history and in the tremendous truths of thy word. Help us, O God, to walk according to it, we ask in the name of Jesus. The voice of Jim Elliott from A Message on the Resurrection. Hey, have you ever prayed without really taking time to think about what you're saying? What reckless prayer did Elizabeth utter? What did she pray about the Alcas? Was this even too crazy to mention? Gateway to Joy 98, A Reckless Prayer. I mentioned to you a few days ago that when my husband Jim was killed, I prayed what seemed to me a reckless prayer. Jim had been killed by a people called Alcas, savages to whom he had hoped to take the gospel. And it did not seem really very logical that if five young, strong American men, three of whom had had arms, had been killed in such an attempt, it did not seem at all likely that God was going to ask a widow with a baby to do anything about it. But my prayer was, Lord, if by chance there is something that you want me to do about the Alcas, and my parenthesis and my footnotes said, but I really don't think there could possibly be, Lord, you wouldn't ask me to do a thing like that, would you? It would be ridiculous. But I finished my prayer by saying, I'm available. Lord, here I am, available. The old word to wreck, from which we get our more familiar word reckless, R-E-C-K, to wreck means to take heed care or thought for. So a reckless prayer is one which doesn't seem to take heed or care or thought. And there's a sense in which every Christian should be reckless when it comes to the will of God, because our own safety is not our concern. How valuable do you consider your own life to be to you? Are you concerned with your own thing, your own comfort, your own success, your own hopes and desires? Do you want to feel good about yourself? Or can you say with Paul, I don't consider my own life valuable to me so long as I can finish my course. That's what really matters, to be able to do the thing that we were made to do, to glorify the one who made us and to please him. And we can be sure that if we please him, then we ourselves will find joy, the kind that really lasts. Jim and I had been the only missionaries in Shandia at that time, and now that Jim was gone, I was going to try to do everything that Jim and I together had done before. Obviously, I couldn't possibly do it, but I was busy. I was very busy, and I had a baby. My daughter was 10 months old, so there were things to do to take care of her, take care of the house. I was teaching a literacy class 
for a group of Quechua Indian girls. I had a certain amount of medical work to do, not having had any medical training, but I did know how to give worm medicine and penicillin shots and deliver a baby and bind up a wound. But I was saying, Lord, I'm available if that's what you want me to do. And I mentioned a few days ago a motto which is posted in every Coast Guard station along the East Coast. It says, you have to go out. You don't have to come back. No matter how great the storm, how great the danger, how unlikely the possibility of rescuing a ship in trouble may seem to be, the obligation of the Coast Guard is to go out. It is not their obligation to make sure that they can get back before they go out. I think also of a motto which I heard is one of the Zulu tribes people. To go forward is to die. To go back is to die. Let us go forward. So it was a reckless prayer, reckless in the proper sense. But I went ahead with the work that I had to do in the station of Shandia, just praying each day for God's guidance and every now and then mentioning to him the possibility of going to the Alcas. Others had carried on the gift drops from the small airplane. Missionary Aviation Fellowship pilots were continuing to drop gifts to the Alcas so that they would understand that even though they had killed some of us, that we were not angry, we still loved them, and we still wanted to win their friendship. And so I prayed now and again, not really imagining any possible way in which God could ask me to do anything about this. But I was thinking, as I read the book of Nehemiah, how there was a fast, and the law was read by Ezra, and the covenant was renewed. And they reviewed the history of Israel, how God had torn the sea apart for them, guided them by a pillar of cloud in the daytime and a pillar of fire at night to give them light on the road. He had given them right judgments and true laws and statutes and commandments, which were good. Thou gavest them bread from heaven to stay their hunger, and thou broughtest water out from a rock for them to quench their thirst, and thou didst bid them enter and take possession of the land, which thou had solemnly sworn to give them. But they, our forefathers, were arrogant and stubborn and disobeyed thy commandments. They refused to obey and did not remember the miracles which thou didst accomplish among them. They remained stubborn, and they appointed a man to lead them back to slavery in Egypt. But thou art a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, long-suffering and ever-constant, and thou didst not forsake them. Even when they made the image of a bull-calf in metal, and said, This is your God who brought you up from Egypt, and were guilty of great blasphemies. Thou in thy great compassion didst not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their journey by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to give them light on the road by which they traveled. Thou gavest them thy good spirit to instruct them. Thy manna thou didst not withhold from them, and thou gavest them water to quench their thirst. Here's a picture of a loving, forgiving, merciful God. When I look back on my diaries 
of that period of my life, late 1956 and 57, I find a person who is still eager and longing to serve God. But I find so many ways in which I failed, so many ways in which I was less than obedient, ways in which I felt sorry for myself. And yet the Lord didn't leave me alone. He continued to guide me. He gave me all that I needed, bread, water, land, pillar of fire, and yet how wistfully I wished sometimes that God would give me a pillar of fire, some visible sign to which I could point my friends and say, look, this is how God is leading me. Well, the time came when I got a radio message one morning asking if I would be willing to go to the station of Arahuno to spend the weekend with a woman whose husband was going to be away for that weekend. She didn't like to stay in the jungle alone, and I couldn't help but be a little amused that a wife who didn't want to spend the weekend alone would want a widow to come and accompany her. And my response was not very positive to begin with, but I thought I really better ask the Lord about this. And so I prayed, and it seemed to me that God was saying, yes, I want you to go. And so, against my own will, I went to Arahuno, and I hadn't been there more than a day or two when two Quechua Indians arrived at the door saying that there were two Alka women at their house. Did I want to come and see them? And so I had just a very few minutes to make up my mind because they were in a hurry to get back before sundown, and it was a six-hour walk. I decided that this was the gate of the Lord and that I must enter it. And so it came about that I made contact with these two Alka women. I couldn't understand a word that they were saying. They couldn't understand a word that I was saying, but they seemed friendly enough. And the long and the short of the story, and I have to shorten it down, is that there was another killing right there in that Quechua village while we were there. A man was killed by the Alcas. They put 22 spears in his body, three spears in the dog, and they kidnapped his wife. Well, I and the Alka women were not on the scene at the moment, so they didn't see it and didn't know who had done it. But the Quechuas were terrified, and they said, we must abandon this place. We must evacuate the village. And so the village was evacuated. And therefore, I took the two Alka women back to live where I had lived before, Shandia, with the Quechua Indians. And at the end of almost a year of living together in a Quechua house, I had learned just barely enough of their language to know that these women were asking me to go back with them when they went home again at the time of the ripening of the Chonta palm. Here was the miracle that I could never envision, the prayer which I certainly thought God was not going to answer being answered. Was it possible that God was going to ask me to go and live with the Alcas? Yes, it was possible. And I got to know the five men who had actually done the killing of the missionaries, and I learned from their very lips that the reason for the killing was that they had thought that the five missionaries were cannibals. Have you ever prayed any reckless prayers, thinking that surely God was not going to answer them? I bet a good many of you have prayed, Thy will be done, 
Maybe you did it thoughtlessly in praying the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But you know, he might answer that prayer, and the chances are very good that he will answer it in ways that never occurred to you. Don't be surprised when he starts doing his will instead of yours. Gateway to Joy 98, A Reckless Prayer. Well, you've heard or read about Elizabeth Elliot. Would you use the word reckless? Bob Schuster of the Billy Graham Archives at Wheaton College shared some of his impressions. His description of Elizabeth seems pretty far from being reckless. Putting her gifts and her service, her intellect, her critical abilities, her willingness to uh, be God's witness, both to the uh, unsaved world and to the Christian world as to the nature of Christian life, the nature of God, the nature of witness. She, the way she uh, recoiled from just being an icon and wanted to be uh, a person who was seen as uh, seeking the Lord, trying to communicate his love both by her own life as by her words and actions, uh, were very impression. This was an impressive person. Bob Schuster has been an archivist at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center Archives for decades, helping countless researchers learn from the past to understand the present. Thank you, Bob. Well, our podcast is indeed coming to an end. Let me thank you for letting us come into your lives, whether at home, at the office, wherever you happen to be today. And on behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you back again next time. And let me invite you to check out all the resources available at elizabethelliot.org. elizabethelliot.org. Elizabeth spelled with an S, by the way. Until next time, may God remind you daily, you are loved with an everlasting love, and underneath are the everlasting arms.